following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. Um, some of this, as we'll see, a lot of it we covered in different other topics. We might have mentioned some of this, but we never really addressed it head on. Um, but really, the way I got to this was because, again, we're doing the Parsha of the Week, and uh, missing, I have to fill in some Parshas that we missed. This, this week we're going to do Parsha Vayeshev, which is coming up actually in two weeks, Parsha, uh, which deals with the story of Joseph and his brothers. And one of the things, you know, there's a lot of different aspects of the, of the story of Joseph and his brothers. Um, but one of the most interesting things that, from the business perspective that I found, of course there's the whole story of his dreams and brothers were going to kill him, why they were going to kill him and how that works. Uh, you know, seem seemingly dysfunctional family, um, or maybe functional family, depends where you're from. Um, but uh, the, what's, that's not the part we're going to focus on. The interesting part is after everything's said and done, after the brother sold him and he gets sold to, uh, as he, s- he gets sold to, it says some Arabs, Ishmaelim, as they're called in the Torah, and then he gets, he comes down to Egypt, um, and he becomes, the first thing is he becomes head of this household of one of the advisors to the king, to the king of Egypt named Potiphar. I believe he was the, I believe he was the economy minister, uh, minister of finance in the Egyptian government at the time. Joseph gets sold to his house um, and what I'm going to focus on the part is that he literally rises to stardom. There's a difference of opinion I found of how long he actually spent in this house. Um, being the head of the household. Some say one year. It's between one and ten years. Hello. Welcome back. See Welcome, Brian, back. He, head chair. he was out of commission for a while. Wow. You look like you off a lot of weight. Huh? You look thinner without your full body brace on. He's in a car. But he's okay. Good to have you back. Fried chicken can cure any... <laughs> no, then. That's true. Um, so the, what, what, what's amazing to me, what stands out to me in the story of Joseph, his side story is his, his rise to stardom in the sense of an economic stardom. As the first story is he comes into this home, and like we said, it could be one year, it could be ten years. Either way, this person ends up trusting him with all his, all his uh, households, as we'll see. If you read the story, if you turn the page here. Um, inside cover. It says, I'll read you some of the verses. It says, Yosef, in Hebrew and in English, says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. Hotifar, again, this was after he was sold. He was all but 17 when he was sold as a, as a slave. How are you? Joseph was all 17 years old and when he was sold by his brothers. Again, uh, how many years later this was, it's not clear exactly, but let's assume this was a year later. We're talking about an 18 year old lad. And the Torah says, Joseph brought down, was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, the Pharaoh's chamberlain, chief of the slaughters. Okay, he wasn't the... Now, like I said before, the Egyptian man purchased him from the Ishmaelites but brought him down there. This is an interesting aside, since we live in Houston. The, um, the Rashi says that the Arabs, it says they were carrying, the Torah states, right before this, they were carrying, they were selling spices. They were spice merchants. The ones that bought Yosef. Uh, Rashi mentions, why does the Torah mention that? What they were carrying and selling in their wagon. 
So it says usually an interesting thing, which you see history doesn't change. It says usually the Arabs were selling what's, what Rashi calls neft. Neft is actually Hebrew for oil. What do Arabs sell? They sell oil. In those days too, nothing changed. Because uh, 3,500 years ago, they were selling the same oil. The Torah is pointing out, even though normally an oil is smelly, that's usually what they're carrying around their wings. When it came to the selling of Yosef, um, they were these Arabs happened to be carrying spices and selling spices, which smelled good. So just, and we'll see what the point of that is. We'll get back to that. Just as an aside point, it's just interesting that even in those days, that's what their main um, sale of, of the Ishmaelites was neft, was, was oil. Um, continuing on the story here, so what happens? He sold to this guy. They, the Arabs sell him to this, um, this fellow named Potiphar. And it says, the Lord was with Joseph. He was a successful man. He was in the house of his, his Egyptian master. So he started as a slave, and as we'll see, he rises to the top of the household. This was a very rich man within Egypt. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and whatever he, Joseph did, the Lord made prosper in his hand. Okay, so we're talking economic success, monetary success. Joseph found favor in his eyes, and he, Joseph, served him, and he, Potiphar, appointed him over his house, and all he had given into his hand. And all he had given into his hands. And then the famous story says, and it goes on to say, now it came to pass that since he had appointed him over his house, over all that he had, the Lord blessed the house of the Egyptian for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was in all that he had in the house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. He knew nothing about what was with him except the bread that he ate. And Joseph had handsome features and a beautiful complexion. Okay, so that's the beginning part of the story where Joseph um, basically runs the household, runs all the economic affairs says this guy knew nothing about what was going on. No, there was no board here, no uh, board of directors, no uh, audits being done. Right? Because everything was left up to Joseph, and he, and he was very successful. And then I skipped the part in between, which is the juicy part. Why did they tell you he's handsome? Oh, yes. The next part, which, I, which we're not going to get into, it's not relevant to us here particularly, which is the, the wife. Mm-hmm. The story is the wife of the household who ends up seducing him, tries to seduce him. He um, doesn't give in to her advances until she finally one day literally grabs onto him and he runs out. She's left with his cloak and she says he tried to rape her, accuses him of rape. And then Joseph ends up in jail um, after all this, after he's accused of rape. So he ends up in jail, um, which is all part of, again, the divine providence, you see, which brings him the end, becoming viceroy of Egypt, which was to bring the family of Jacob down. Um, to Egypt in order for the whole story of the Exodus to begin. So, so that's so. The next part I skip all the the juicy parts um, because this is a family class. And we, you know, we're eating lunch. So we get so I skipped on down to the part where Joseph's in jail, and in jail, similarly, again, the Torah mentions he has a he rises up and becomes the whatever that means, the top guy in jail. Okay. Um, so, so it says like this in verse 20, same page, the bottom of that page. It says that Joseph, Joseph's master took him, put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were in prison. That was so. This is a special jail for king's prisoners, and he was there in the prison. So we're not just talking about common criminals, um, blue-collar criminals. Um, even though his his crime that he was accused of was rape, was but still he put him in a special place where there. King's prisoners were in prison. What happens? The Lord was again was with Joseph, and he extended charisma to him, gave him favor in the eyes of the warden of the prison. So the warden of the prison delivered all the prisoners who were in the prison into Joseph's hand. Whatever they did there, he was the one who did it. So he was in charge of uh, whatever it was. 
um, the warden of the given out the cigarettes. So the warden of the prison did not inspect anything that was in Joseph's hands for the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord may prosper. So again, you see, um, referring specifically to his economic um, prospering. Joseph in the house of his original master, then when he goes to prison, and then I didn't have room on the page, but in the next week's portion, of course, the famous story is that Joseph then is interpreted the two dreams of the two of the king's prisoners there. One was the was his um, it's called a Saramashka, the his chief bartender, I guess you call it. The other one was the uh, that they were both accused of trying to poison the king. So he gets he interprets one dream. This guy's going to be saved. The other one, long story, not going to get into details. But when he comes out, so so when Paro has a dream. Years later, he asks around who could he doesn't like all the interpretations of his dream. So he asks around, and he said, "There's this guy sitting in prison who, great interpreter of dreams, great guy. I want to meet him." So he takes him out prison. That's the next week's portion, and he Yosef, um, of course, interprets his dream. And again, there, what happens is Paro says, "We'll get to the, we'll read those verses again." But Paro Paro tells him. Um, he is so impressed with Joseph that he actually appoints him to take because the dream where it was about the future economy of Egypt. The seven full cows is going to be seven years of famine, seven years mm-hmm. of, of, uh, of plenty. And therefore, he, he actually ends up appointing Joseph as the economic minister of Egypt. Viceroy, he gives him his, his ring. And again, Joseph takes Egypt to this economic success. He, he um, comes up with a plan in, in how they can save during the seven years plenty. Um, they bought up all the real estate in Egypt from all the farmers and end up, um, again, um, massive economic success even during the years of famine for Egypt. Um, again, so the Torah, again, is stressing Joseph's economic success. So, so what I wanted to focus on, what exactly was it? Um, why was he so successful? successful? What was the key to his economic success? Um, and why, what, um, what exactly was it that people just trusted him he flew to the top so quickly. Um, again, his master's house looks like only in one year. He was only there one year before he ran the household prison. And again, again, he becomes a viceroy of Egypt um, with this economic, grand economic plan. So, uh, what's interesting is that didn't find many commentaries discussing it. What exactly? What was his talent that so successfully? So, um, one thing the Torah mentioned, he did have charisma. Um, that's something, I guess, uh, you need that for economic success. I don't know. Is charisma important? Doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt. That's, is, that is personality important? Personality is important. You know, it's also... It's uh, politics, but it's different. You know, con men have high personality. Bernie Madoff had great personality. Mm-hmm. So in sales. Um, you know, there's a difference between confidence and, and ability. So, fine line. You you want you want confidence, but you also uh, need the skill. Confidence without skill. After you've been hiring for a while, you value competence uh, <laughs> over confidence. <laughs> okay. Brian, would you? And charisma. <laughs> Brian. But his charisma would allow him to convince the people of the plan. Right. A plan, but yeah. it may be a crappy plan. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Right, which, by the way, I did see. I just uh, to make. I did see in one book who actually discusses 
Yosef's, Joseph's leadership abilities. So he says, on the contrary, he brings him as a bad leader in the sense of, uh, I guess, judging his economic plan, which was basically, and, and that's a different portion, which is he, he basically, because everyone was starving and desperate, he got them to sell them all their land. So he, which the government then basically owned the whole country, more or less, and then they were able to sell back their own, um, you know, store grains, store grains, things like that for the people which in modern times might not, might not be looked at as the best economic plan, but were for Egypt, ancient Egypt, that was at work. So the question is how to look at that. Was that a, you can look at it as a good plan or bad, but it was great for the government. might not be good for the masses, for the people. So when the government survived the, the drought, seven years of drought, but the farmers were destitute and they had to rely on the government. So again, that's a, maybe a matter of opinion, was that a good economic plan or not. But either way, the, what I'm focusing more is on why did they trust him so much to immediately put him up in such stature in all these three places. In the first place, which is in, and he sold to this, uh, this Pharaoh's chamberlain, um, and then in prison, and then Pharaoh himself to become viceroy of Egypt. Okay, so, um, so, so what I want to, what I did find is one, one um, commentary explains it in the sense of, and, and this is something you see off-quoted here throughout um, the stories, all of them, all three stories, is that it says, um, I just read, first of all it mentions, it says, uh, the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made prosper in his hand. Okay, that's number one. It mentions the prosper part is in the context of, it says the Lord was with him, we have to see what that means. Um, and it mentions that numerous times throughout the story. Um, and the blessing of the Lord was in all was in all that he had in the house and in the field. And then it mentions it again. Um, and I want to show you is actually in the story of. We'll get back to that in a second. The story of Pharaoh. So this is what I want to propose, which is something we again we discussed many times. And I put together all the sources um, just to get the clarity in how that works, which is that. The, Jew, the basic Jewish philosophy is, I think this is something basic in all of Jewish business ethics, which is that we believe that the divine origin of wealth, um, we, first of all, we love money, and there's nothing wrong with liking money. Money is a good thing. Um, we don't say, you know, to be, um, what are the Catholics call it, Christians, we don't practice asceticism where we separate ourselves from the world, we are part of the world, we, it's good, good food, good uh, enjoy life, that's a good thing. We don't look at it in a bad way. Um, and wealth also is looked, at, is looked at as a good thing, again, if used in the proper context. But the key philosophy, I believe, is, I put it here on the back, is um, we do believe that wealth is of divine origin. It doesn't mean that, again, that money grows on trees. It doesn't mean a person shouldn't work and expect God to provide, as we discussed many times, but it means that you need both. You need to have what we call the ishtadlis, as you said before, the, what's called the competence or the action, you have to go through the motions and of course um, do what you need to do to make a living. But at the end of the day, we believe that, it, meaning if God is not involved and you're not going to make your money, no matter how good mm-hmm. and how competent you are, if you don't have that belief that it all comes from God, um, that's, and you're not, it's not necessarily going to work. Talk about that. You might know many people who don't have their belief and they're very successful. So the, the Kalmud does ask that question how that works. I mean, um, if, if this is so true, so then why do we see many people 
um, who don't necessarily fit that picture. But we'll get back to that in a second. But um, I want to show you, just read the verses in Yosef later on with Pharaoh, which I didn't put on the sheet because of lack of room. Um, after Yosef interprets Pharaoh's dreams, so Pharaoh tells him, you can find it. Pharaoh tells him that you're you're a brilliant person um, who's able to do this and he, and he keeps on um, praising Yosef for his skills and abilities um, let me just find it inside and Pharaoh also says he recognizes. So after the economic plan, it says like this: the matter appeared good in Pharaoh's eyes, meaning the interpretation and the economic plan of Joseph, in the eyes of all his servants. Pharaoh said to his servants, "Could we find another like him, a man in whom is the spirit of God?" Okay, so here's somewhat a key. Um, Pharaoh, Pharaoh seems to be why. What is, what is his trust in Joseph? So he says, can we, he says to his servants, "Can we find someone else like this person?" Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, there can be no one so discerning and wise as you shall be in charge of my palace, and by your command shall all my people be sustained. Only by the throne shall I outrank you. Okay, so he basically puts some second command. Um, he says, see, I have placed you in charge of all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh removed his ring and his hand, put it on Joseph's hand. Okay, and then... Um, i find... Joseph was 30 years old at this time, by the way. It says when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Um, trying to find his response. Joseph's response is, no, it's not me. I, it's not me who has the skill. It all comes from God. That's what Joseph's response is to Pharaoh. Um, trying to find that. Um, can't find the exact words, but he says, he says, no, Joseph says it's all from God. It's nothing to do with me. Um, it's all from God. So I think, and this is what I want to focus on, this is the key here. The key to Joseph's success, it seems, was this, was this ability he had to, that he really believed, even though he was very talented, like I said, he was good-looking, charismatic, and he obviously did have the competency to do this, to do these jobs he was doing, clearly. But he doesn't... Um, doesn't say um, take credit for his successes. He says that it's all God, and he says obviously it's not just words. Um, he's he's actually tells Pharaoh, listen, it's not me. Don't call me a chacham. Don't call me a wise man. It's not my wisdom. He says it's the wisdom of God. Okay, so I think this is a key point, um, like we're saying, in in why they trusted Joseph, and also why why he was so successful. Yes. This is the only place we see that. In what sense? What do you mean? Where he's thanking Hashem. I mean, everything that happens before him, all this speaking, all this here, we can also look at it from the standpoint of it's all part of the plan. I mean, Joseph has to succeed, or if he fails at, at, at Potiphar's house, he's thrown out. You know, there's a bigger plan going on with Joseph here. All right, so he needs to succeed. Hashem knows that. You know, Hashem yeah, well, it's him all clearly. So there's a plan here that he does, because we don't see him, we don't see Joseph visually, so we don't see it. Uh, you know, maybe he's a midrash. But we don't see him like his father, who's always praying for this and praying for that. We don't see Joseph doing that. We don't see him asking for Hashem's help. 
And so, so at yes, the end, where true. he says at the dreams that no, it was Hashem. That's really the first time we see him acknowledging. I mean, at the, at the third story, yes. So but but yeah, 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 what I think, what I hear you saying is, we don't see Joseph's piety. Right. So. Except for to make it's a very good point. Yeah, you're right. We don't see him vision, you know, like we're supposed to, you know, all of us, we all, you know, obviously there's prayers for Parnassa. We're supposed to pray and act and obviously, you know, acknowledge. But we don't see, I mean, yes, obviously, yeah, a lot so of that's, that's a good point. it has to happen. But if Joseph prays for God, it had to happen. But Well, it could happen in other ways. It didn't have to happen. <coughs> well, right, charged, but that's go. Go. a good point. Well, you yes, David's, I want to address David's point, which is, it's not an issue of piety. I want to make it clear. That doesn't mean saying you have to be pious to succeed in business. What we're saying is this one point which is recognizing that there's you're, you're not necessarily in control. Right. That's that's the key point. It's not that you have to be pious. We're not saying you got to grow pious. And, and, uh, Rabbi, right. I know lots of Jews <laughs> yeah, who yeah, I, I, don't go there, I don't think they could find their way to shul. <laughs> seem to be very financially successful. Yes, that's what I'm saying. So it's nothing to do with, with being pious Thank per se. You. It's this specific belief, which is that I'm, I'm not in control, realizing that there's someone else running the show, even in your own, bu- in your own business. Now, yeah, we'll, get, we'll address those people. And I don't think they have that belief. Okay, <laughs> so that's a good point. We'll get there. Um, yeah, like I, I said, Tom would ask the question. One, one yeah. step further, one of the things is of, of having charisma and confidence is overconfidence, mm-hmm. meaning I am brilliant. Right. Well, that's you the know, problem. We're going to talk about yeah. Would you say yes. that's what caused his no, brothers no, to go the opposite of the way they treated him, to dump him out on the road? Well, well, there is a certain sense. I did see. Also discussed that Joseph was a little high on himself at least in the beginning. It's one of the reasons the brothers weren't happy with him. He was going around saying, "I'm going to be the leader." That was his first dream. That he, his own what? dream, that he's going to lead all the brothers. They're oh, all going to bow to him. He was one of the young ones. <coughs> he was one of the young ones, and then uh, he said, "I'm going to be the king." So they, obviously, they that was so what an issue to begin. At that with. time, he had the dreams. He says, "Hashem gave me this dream." And then, he, and then he, you know, you can see that. Okay, you know, then he, you're right. Did it, what he may have been, at least he's humble in regards to revealing. Yeah, so there is, by the way, the, there is a whole other interpretation which does say one of the reasons Joseph didn't become, you know, there's, there, within uh, Jewish sources, there's something called Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David. It's the Davidic dynasty of, of leaders, and then Mashiach ben Yosef. Mashiach ben Yosef was very, is very limited in their leadership. And one of the reasons it says because Yosef really was supposed to be the future king in his dynasty, his... Um, you know, lineage, but because he was high on himself, because he was haughty, he didn't receive, couldn't be the leader. That's, but that's really a different thing, that's leadership. To be a leader of the Jewish people, you have to be very humble, as Moses, as Moshe, etc. Even David, it says, was humble. Um, so that's, all, that's more of a leadership issue than success in business, it's two different things. You know, it's meaning leadership, I mean, like you said, political leadership, like being, you know, leading a country, that's a whole, or leading a nation, that's a different different attributes than <coughs> success in business. Because success in business, the fact that you that you are confident is not necessarily bad. So see, obviously, again, you have to attribute, you have to have that attribution that it all comes from God. But confidence is not, I don't think it's a bad thing. Or being, believing in yourself also in, in business. So, you know, you're not agreed. No, I'm just, I'm all, I've always been fascinated by this concept of people who don't have any care in the world and they're so successful I mean a lot of it comes with a curse their success comes with a curse to both sides 
the good and the bad. Meaning <coughs> the observant and the non-observant, sometimes when they're extremely successful, there becomes a big curse with significant success and money as well. So I don't, I'm going off on a tangent, but we're talking mm-hmm. about Curse in what sense? Mm-hmm. Well, they have, their family's totally off the deep end and they're in therapy non-stop and their siblings are in therapy and their children because of the money and, yeah because of the money so mm-hmm. the success is always not such a blessing yes that's true the financial yeah. success is not always such a blessing that's true but, but here wasn't it wasn't just right yeah well, it doesn't mean it's a bad thing again it has just they have to know how to right. you know have to, you have to know how to use the money mm-hmm. in proper way it's not going to affect your family there. right that comes exactly. with both of those yes. who are yes. a challenge no question wealth is a challenge not for me, but for <laughs> some people. Um, um, okay, so 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 you, it is a good point that you bring up, which is that yes, it doesn't seem to be. Don't see him praying to God. Don't say, I mean, it doesn't talk about piety. But again, he does say, make that statement at the end of the day to Pharaoh that it's not me. Don't call me a wise person. Cause Maybe it took him that met all these years of trial and tribulation to sit there, and you're sitting in the prison, saying, you know. Maybe. Yeah, clearly that was the humble. Yeah, humble okay, if, if it was a tad arrogant, all right. Now it took a little time to sit there and think about things and say, all right, you're right. Well, maybe things, my success before and post bar and everything else did something like that. That's this. You know, here I am standing in front of the king. I'll give you a different one. <laughs> maybe he said that because he was smart and he said, look, we've had a great run here. Don't <laughs> you know? I see the great runs don't last forever, and so uh, next year when it's bad, don't take me out back and shoot me. It's not a, it's not just me. And if God's if God's given me you know the wrong you know if, if He's telling me the Cowboys are, you know minus three, uh, don't don't be all over me. No, so, so that is a good point. I think that is part of it. a key part of this philosophy is fact that when, as we know, things could be going great, people are all of, you know, successful business, all of a sudden like that, you know, they can lose everything. Right. So that in itself shows us, you know, they're doing the same thing they were doing for the last, you know, 15 years in business. Nothing changed. Whatever, some, some outside factor can come and play a role. So that, that's exactly the point, I think, here, which is, that's, that's where God plays the role. Right, you can be doing everything right, you know, you went to Harvard business school and you, you got everything right. is and, and when buggy whips went out of fashion it didn't matter how pious or <laughs> you know, respectful you were of God you exactly. were just on the wrong, wrong business at the wrong time right so so that's that, that I think is a key part of what we're talking about so, so I put together some of the sources here um, so again what, what seems to be saying is that uh, again Joseph realized this concept which is um, that Hashem was with him, as, as Potiphar mentioned again, his amuna, what we call in, the, in Hebrew, the word is amuna, um, and there's, there's two words actually. Amuna means faith and bitachon. Not sure there's the, the difference between the English translation. One thing which is important to know is, and this is a big mistake that many Jews make, is faith in God doesn't mean that I believe that everything's going to be great. People mm-hmm. say, I have faith in God. Eh, you know, don't worry, I'm not worried. That's not what faith in God means, at least in Judaism. I can't speak for other religions. Faith in God doesn't mean that, you know, I'm opening a business. I have faith in God, everything will be successful. Faith in God means that whatever happens, I know it's from God, and therefore I'm okay with it. God is controlling the situation. It doesn't mean that I think everything's going to be okay, because many times there are things in life that are not okay. So this is a key point that, that people mistake. Faith in God, we don't believe that everything's going to be great. 
He believes that God's in control, and therefore, listen, if now business is down, there must be a reason for it. Eventually, you know, doesn't mean eventually we get better. We don't know. But faith, that's the faith means that I know someone else is in control, and therefore, there's a reason behind this, and, and whatever happens is for my good. That's really what faith means. It's a key point to understand. So when Joseph is saying here, <coughs> as what you just mentioned, even in prison, he, when, when he was down in luck, after he was at the top of the household, all of a sudden he's sitting in prison. He says, you know, it's all in the hands of the Lord. I, I, I know it's from Hashem. It's not, it's not necessarily up to me. So he came to that recognition, maybe, as you say, as David was saying, exactly, in prison. Um, many times prison can do that. So, uh, <coughs> so, so just a few, so a few interesting quotes. The first one, we discussed and probably mentioned here ad nauseum many classes, at least in the first class we gave is the introduction to Jewish business, business ethics, which is one of the first things it says the Talmud lists the questions when you get to the when you reach the pearly gates after 120 <coughs> years, what they ask you. Right, so you think they ask you, you know, what did you do for Judaism? Right, major questions. What's interesting is they don't add, the questions they ask are not so major. The first question actually asked um, is did you deal faithfully in business? Um, in your business, honestly, doesn't it? Oh, we'll see what that means. So, okay. so, so the, that's the, the quote top here, number two. It says, Rabbi said, "Man of the day of judgment is asked number one question. Number one: Did you deal faithfully?" Okay. The next one is, "Did you fix set fixed times for studying?" Thank God, here we can all that studying Torah. We all set fixed times here, at least twice a month. Did you engage in, in procreation? <coughs> okay, that's a that's a. That's question what that means. I'm not going to go there, but it means a literal sense, but it also means um, helping people get married. People who are single, helping uh, helping single people get married. Um, okay, and, and uh, another few interesting questions. But the number one question when someone reaches the pearly gates is this question of did you deal, the, the language of the Talmud is masa umatan, negotiating be'amuna, with literally the word means faith. Faithfulness. The question is what that means. So the simple translation, it means in, with integrity. That's how the art school translates it, and that's how most people <coughs> translate it. It means when you deal in business, you have to be honest. Okay, You have to do it with integrity. Um, and that's one aspect, by the way, which Yosef also, meaning once. Okay, I'll, let me just finish my... The second interpretation is this... Uh, the other way I've seen interpreted in uh, Ben Yada, which is the commentary in the Talmud, it interprets it a different way. It doesn't mean... I'm not talking about integrity. Obviously, you have to deal with integrity. It means, did you have this concept in your business? Did you, when you ran your business, did you have this, were you cognizant of this fact that it's God running the show and not you? Um, that's how he interprets this question <coughs> on the Day of Judgment. Not that you deal faithfully with integrity, not that we're saying that's not important, and I'll show you they're connected, but did you understand that it's God um, who's involved in your business at the end of the day? So that's quite the other way to, to interpret. Now, what's interesting is I, I really believe there, these, two, these two interpretations are related because <coughs> if someone truly believes God's involved in his business, so he's not going to try to make that extra buck, you know, through the back door, dishonestly, because I know everything comes from God, meaning, what, listen, I, I'm doing everything honestly. I'm going to keep his rules. So the assumption is he's going to, you know, help me out. He might make sure my business is successful. If, if you don't believe that, that's when you have, you know, listen, if I can get an extra, steal an extra buck, or steal, do something where, you know, which is, you know, change, or put my finger on the scale, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So then, if I don't believe God's running, it's all about me, so then, then I'm, I, there's a better chance that I'm not mm -hmm. going to be, in, um, have that integrity. I know there are many people who you dealt with who, who look pious, but didn't deal with integrity. That's a whole, it's a whole different class. I promise you one day we'll discuss it. 
um, so so the uh, so but the point is so the, either either of these interpretations are relevant <coughs> to what we're discussing, meaning to to be successful in business. Um, well, that's not what this Tom is saying, but it's saying that's that's what they're going to ask you at the pearly gates. But either way, well, you do need both aspects to be successful in business. One is the integrity, the honesty, and number two is the uh, is this aspect of, of again having faith in that, that God is running the show, so to speak. Okay, so that's one important quote. Um, the second thing, and I put the number here. I didn't put a number there. It really should be number three, but I see I skipped skipped it. it says I will say to myself, the second paragraph on the page. So this is a famous verse which David was referring to before. Famous verse in Deuteronomy, um, which is known in Hebrew. The words are Kochi ve'otzem yadi. I didn't put the whole verse here, so let me just get to it. Deuteronomy, Torah is discussing, um, see the context there, chapter 8. <coughs> so, chapter 8, so it's, the context here is, um, actually it's discussing prosperity. Now, to be careful, as we're saying, of the challenge of wealth. That's what the Torah is discussing here. I'll, I, I only quoted two verses there, but I'll start from before so you get the context. It says, Take care, lest you forget Hashem your God by not observing His commandments, His ordinances, and His decrees, which I command you today. Lest you eat and be satisfied, and you build good houses and settle. Life is good, and your cattle and sheep and goats increase. <coughs> increase silver and gold for yourselves, and everything that you have will increase, and your heart will become haughty, and you will forget Hashem your God. So it's talking about the, what you mentioned before, Brian, which is the, the challenge of wealth. And this is, in all religions, I think, have this problem. The, the better off we are, usually, that the less we're going to show. Because you know, when life is good, right, as we said, there's no atheist in the foxhole. Right? When life is good, you know, we don't need God. When the, right after 9-11, it says, all, I don't know about the synagogues, but at least all the churches filled up. <laughs> synagogues, <laughs> okay? And, and because people were, you know, the economy was, you know, they were scared about the economy. It was, it was a big blow to the country. People got nervous, so everyone, you know, starts talking to God. Um, when the economy is great, you know, people, are, you know, what do you need God? So that's what the Torah is warning about here. And it says, lest you're, you're, you increase silver and gold for yourselves, and everything that you have will increase. Your heart will become haughty, and you will forget Hashem your God, who took you out of the land of Egypt from the house of slavery, who leads you through the great and awesome wilderness of snake, fiery serpent, and scorpion, and thirst where there was no water, referring to the... 40 years in the desert, who brings forth water. This is God is talking to that generation of the desert that survived, that got them on. Now they're going to enter the land of Israel. And God's telling them, in the land of Israel, you're going to prosper. Till now, they're all totally relying on God in the sense of the manna. They had no jobs. There was no agriculture. They were in the desert. So they're totally relying on God. Now they're going to enter the land of Israel. God's saying, be careful. Because once you enter, life is good. You're going to forget about me. Um, so he says who feeds you man in the wilderness where your forefathers knew not, and then um, in, order not, in order to afflict you, in order to test you to do, to do good in your end. And then he goes on to say, and you may say in your heart, and this is the quote that I put here, um, I wrote, say to yourself, but it says, so you may say in your heart, quote, my strength, my strength, that's the key word, my strength, and the might of my hand made me all this wealth. Okay, so no, God is specifically stating this, in Deuteronomy, meaning you're going to say, listen, I made it rich, I'm the one who did the investing, I'm the one who figured out which stocks to buy, um, or at least which stock broker to pick, who's my wealth uh, management person, right, so I, I made those choices, I worked hard to build up this business, it's me, I get the credit, 
So God says, then you shall remember your God that it is He who gave you your strength to make wealth. Okay, so God is saying specifically, your wealth is not from, uh, don't think it's yourself. He gave you strength in order to establish His covenant that He swore to your forefathers as this day. Okay? Um, and then he goes on to say, not, if you don't remember me, not such nice things will happen. So, Rabbi, <laughs> if in fact, as you get wealthier, by your statement, you are less observant. Those Usually. Are your words. Usually. And if, I don't know if everybody around the table would agree, but I would make an observation that the per capita income at Beth Israel is greater than the per capita income at Beth Yashurin, which is greater than the per capita income at UOS. I hear you loud and clear. So it's, a, so it's a very good question. We're going to get to that. Tom would ask that question. What? Per capita. Per capita. <laughs> so per, per capita per family. Yeah. So how do you explain that in line No, of so exactly. We are explaining. We're, well, no, I'm saying that fits in perfectly what I just said. Meaning that the more people have wealth, the less inclined they are to come to be part of, uh, of religion. Okay. So that fits. Beth Israel, you know, is, I don't want to, I'm saying the hierarchy of, of more um, observance. Um, 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 observance. Yes, yeah, right. I'm saying so that fits with what we said. The question is, you know, but this in, as far as success, this suggests yes. in order to be successful, yes. you have to have God in your heart yes. Yes. and make time uh, for dealing faithfully, fixed times for studying. So are you saying people in Beth Israel don't have God in their heart? That word. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking not as observant as Again, I want to point out it's not a question of observance, it's a question of being cognizant of this one fact that God is involved I would go, in your I would go so far, <laughs> I, I'll stipulate that, that the Jews of Beth Israel believe that God is less involved in their business than the Jews at Beth Assurance. I'm not sure. Who, who believe, a, again, compared to UOS. And okay, I only pick those three agree? as large samples. Well, I'll, I'll can I throw something in? Let me throw something in. Yeah. Using your idea, like you said, we're not talking about piety here. We're talking yes. about you know, business, specifically, close, being the cognizant of this fact. Yes. Then what about the overlap of being open to Shabbos? Well, that's part of it. No, financial piety. No, that's exactly the point. Exactly. I Meaning, as I always tell people who tell me they have to stay up or not, I've, I've gone through many, I've counseled many people on this <coughs> issue, and I tell them, listen, I, I guarantee them, they close. Actually, tell you, you're going to tell your story. What about, about David? David? Yeah, one second. I I guarantee. So I tell them, if you close on Shabbat, I guarantee you, your business will not decrease. I tell people that. Because again, it can't be if, if you believe in the, if if you right. believe in this, and you're saying God runs this, and God can't penalize you for for listening to him, for being open to Shabbat. That's Same thing with piety interest. and the other part. Kind of yeah, but it's not it's not a pie, But I'm saying it's specifically on this issue. You know, the person could be not pious in all other areas of his life. We're talking about specifically in this issue of understanding right. where my money's coming from. That's it's one issue. That's not pie. That's not you know. I want to call it pie. It's faith. It's called what we call faith. Okay, but she just told me as I walked to the classroom. Can I say, oh, yeah, you know, what, you know, my husband and his you know, famous going to the track on Shabbat. She just told me this as I came in today. No, yeah, yeah, all the time. I mean, you know, so about uh, two, three months ago. No, no, he would, he wouldn't mind. He wouldn't mind my telling this anyway because you know it's it's really true. About two, three months ago, he said to me, "I'm going to stop doing it," and I said, "Okay, well, I want 
I'm wanting you to know that after, about two weeks after that, he picked up two or three new vendors, and he is so busy. He never worked so hard in his whole life. Okay, and I said, that, listen, that, but that's, that's, that's one, it. That's a wonderful story. Yes, but, I, but, I, but I believe it. I believe it. I do. I know. I believe it, too. <laughs> I do believe but it. But I'm a data-driven person. And so, oh, that's an anecdotal so story. That's too. an anecdotal true story. <laughs> Say, hang on, I like to look at lar as large a sample as I can. Mm -hmm. At Beth Israel, I'm willing to stipulate there's no one closes on Shabbat. At Beth Israel, there's a small handful that do. And at UOS, there's a much larger group that closes on Shabbat. So, well, you know, the interesting thing could be not so much are they wealthy or they became successful. Is that without it, without the sense of where it comes from, are you able to maintain it? You might be given the success without it, but in, in, with the test saying, "All right, are you going to start acknowledging it or not?" And do you lose it? You know, that's kind of a different thing. Say so you're not going to yeah, but still, but you still would make the. You want to take the families and run a multi-generational study? <laughs> yeah. Tell you what, I'll still bet on the folks at Beth Israel versus the UOS. Yeah. Again, there'll be exceptions to the rule. I like, I like Hamlet's uh, study, but the variable that I want to put in would be um, therapy visits into the equation. So if you look at who's going to therapy more, I venture to guess that, that the, the, the former are much higher than the latter. And not to pick on us, but if you look at families being intact and divorce rates and things like that, mm -hmm. assuming that means happiness to anyone. Yeah, but that's but not that's really it's a good point. Find, okay, well, a how do you find wealth? Big, big, yeah, find big, wealth? big, big article. Just money. Is it just money? Big, big article in the New life? Yorker this week yeah. on <laughs> all of the uh, abuse in the Orthodox. Orthodox. And my, I have a friend who sends me like every instant thing that right. comes across Orthodox. So I get the, it's I, like I, the motorcycle article. So I, I would. I would. I would argue. Actually, do agree. However, I didn't think the numbers are off. I, I still think it's All right. great. I agree with both of you. Yes, let me explain. I agree with Brian that that there <laughs> is probably probably less instances. Maybe people are happier. Maybe maybe yes. Maybe not. But it's not it's not relevant to the point here because again, we're not discussing. We're discussing specifically success in in economic, but judging by economic it, factors. And I'm saying this is the key to success. It, and David it, has a good point. He's saying, well, let if you if you pull the people that listen, to me honestly, and, and this is, I think my answer is that honestly, I think the people in the U.S. are not anymore have faith. Meaning, this is a very hard level to reach. You can be totally ultra orthodox. Now, many ultra orthodox people who don't believe in this in their hearts they might say they might play lip service, but this is a level of faith to say that listen, it's not me who made the money; it's it's God helping me make the money. Most. I would say, I would venture to say probably 70-80% of ultra-orthodox people don't really believe this either. So it's not, I don't, really? that's why I don't think you can judge it, because this is something, listen, <coughs> I'm not a business, I can't speak for myself per se, but it's, it's a, listen, even as a rabbi, when I go fundraising and I, you know, I have to, and, I, and things happen, I say, wow, I'm good, I'm, not, I'm better than I thought. I don't, I don't attribute it to God. It's a very, it's very easy to, pay, to say it, to learn about it, theoretically. Someone actually do it, so I'm not sure that UOS has more people who right. believe in this than Beth Israel at the end that, of the day. That's a good point. <laughs> Just that's an aside to, to if people with money have our therapy, you often hear people who don't have money say, 
let me have money and let me deal with those problems. Right. I've never heard anybody with money say, take my money away. Because people, uh, people win so the lottery. Our, so on a barbell approach. You ruin their life. Yeah, exactly. you know, no one ever says, not, get, not, not maybe take all my money and let, no, let me. No, like people win the lottery say, you know, like they, you know, oh. they say ruin their life. You know, you always have these interviews and, you know, the people that well, want the, to money the, the, the classic Torah is that, you know, you're happy with your own lot, right? Who's the happy man the one who's happy exactly. with his own it's lot? Also so that's, that's a tough thing, right? So you define <laughs> the wealth of that congregation or whatever. It means nothing at that point because they really... Right. But the point at the end of the day is I really, I know, I, I, you know, listen, I, I might be aware of individuals who really practice this, but it's a very, it's, it's a very high level of faith to actually mm -hmm. believe that you know, I'm gonna exactly what God plans on me for the year for my portfolio. That's what's gonna happen, no matter if I, you know, what I do. That's a, I don't, you know, it's a really high level of faith to really believe. So, it's, there's different levels of it. You know, I can believe. Okay, listen, whatever I'm supposed to make this year, it's gonna happen. But at the end of the day, to really truly believe, you know, it's not me. It's not my skills. It's not my, uh, you know, ability, my charisma, whatever it is. It's a very hard thing to truly believe. And, and and practice it. Or else they won't be giving all their money away to charity. That's my proof. No, it does. Because you believe, listen, it's all, it's not in the... Like I say, like it's say, like we discussed many times, right? It says whatever you spend for tuition, you know, really is not counted, it's not part of oh, your... No, most people don't look at it, though. No, I, no, I, understand. <laughs> I was just going to say, the one thing that I've always thought is an issue that we don't talk about a lot is that, you know, the reform movement is 170 years old. The conservative movement is however old. And we always kind of tend to forget that our ancestors were neither of those. So how did we become so successful and why are we so successful? If you don't believe in the divinity of it, then what do you have? I mean, we're not, you could say, oh, the Asians are, no, they're not. I mean, it's not, we have this unbelievably non-realistic, out of whack success proportion that is just for Jews everywhere we go. So there's something to it more than eating bagels, obviously, and there's something to it more than reform or conservative. Or it's just there's something obviously you know, in our heritage yes. that so that had passed. Oh, then how do you explain <clears throat> that they're the most successful now? That the Beth Israel right. group's got the most money right no, now? No, no. I was going to go to to comparison with a different ethnic. How do you explain that when I went to Bel Air High School, the top 50 Percentage. kids? were Easy. 48 Jews. Easy, because we've gotten rich. Their generation, they don't push yeah. my generation okay, to push so their where, kids so where, as hard. Where's the genetic, push, but we're, no, where's but we're, the genetic but we're, we have the new school. immigrants and the new Jews right. have to come again. We have to resurge it or something. We're also less detached. I mean, it's like back to Germany. We were 65% intermarried. I mean, it's this whole thing that we get rebirthed <clears> and we become strong, a strong tribe again. I mean, we're, we're kind of assimilating again, and I think it comes with that. We do become just like everybody else. We don't have to work as hard because we are accepted. And my classic is, but, but, but we don't have to work as hard. We can go work at Arthur Anderson. We can go work at you know. We don't have to work as hard. Was sort of a look at our history, right? But we come from a so tradition of people who were observant and and succeeded. No, but even today, I mean, if you look at the Fortune, you know, five hundred, four hundred, whatever it is, I mean. Out of whack. Yeah, I mean, it's nuts. How many Jews there are that are that it's hard, billionaire? It's hard to deny there's something there. Yeah, it's it's strange. It, I don't know. If I, you're saying it's the answer. There's it could no be. Group like it but I'm saying there's, there's, the, there's something strange about Jewish people. We're very, we are successful. Right, I would argue it's the emphasis on education. Yeah, it could be. So do the Asians. It's the first day. Right. They're not. In the U.S., they're booming. Look at China and look at the rest of the world. They're 
they're not such leaders. I mean, they're. Well, could they listen. Education is a factor. Again, resource rich. They're. I mean, yeah, they have some PhDs, but same thing. <coughs> so, so there was. We're not saying, by the way, there's no other factors. Again, this is a key point. Look at number five. This is a very important point. Number five here is. And this is very important. It says this is a this is a quote from the Talmud in Tractate Nida. Okay, it says like this. What should list a bunch of? It sounds like a get rich quick scheme, but it says what should a person do to become rich? That's the Talmud's question. So Bishu answered, quote, he should spend more time engaging in business. What do you? That's okay. That oh, that's my point. Listen, and he should conduct his transactions with integrity. Again, the integrity might be the wrong word here. It's just my tra- it's the translation. It may mean with faith. The real word is. Um, with faith so integrity again there's two ways we can interpret that word either faith which we're talking about or integrity okay but many so now the Talmud asks David's question many have done this look at brothers many have done so and have not been successful <coughs> right meaning they had they don't have this faith again if we're interpreting not the, I put the word integrity there but it really should be faith they're not running their business with that faith and they're still successful so the Talmud asks your question so what's going on why are those people successful? If you're saying you need these two factors for success, um, so Rebbe responded, and again, the six is a mistake here. You should, if you turn to the back, you should plead for mercy for him whom wealth belongs, as it is stated. Um, verse from Tanakh: Mine is the silver and gold. God is saying, Kesef Azav Shali. God is talking. The, um, so again, the Talmud says, if becoming rich depends on prayer, and He's saying, so you got to pray. If you're not successful, pray. Okay, so again, so he says, so then if, if, if becoming rich depends on prayer, talk of pleading with God, so why is, what is Rabbi Shua teaching us? So what was the first statement where he said, engage in business and... Um, engage do, in more business. Right, engage in more business. So what is it? You know, there's three factors here that I mentioned. One is, do the job right. Okay, be competent, engage in business. Number two is, have faith that it comes from God. And, and number three is, prayer. Okay, so what's <coughs> going on? So he says... Exactly, that's what the Talmud says. One without the other is not enough. We're not attributing it. There's not one factor. If someone just sits in, and shul and prays all day, and then wants to tells God to make him rich, that's not going to work. Okay, that's not Judaism. Judaism, we don't say I have faith in God and, and God well. will provide. What? Well. No, but this is, no, but <laughs> you can pray for that. No, right. You have to, you have to make yourself a vessel. But no, it's more than the vessel. We're saying there's there's three parts to this. You need there's three well, factors, no, I'm, I'm and one without the no, other. No, no, right. If someone, if I believe God is, God provides everything, but I don't do anything about it again. It's not no, no, work. I agree. But what's saying here, unless there's a unless the translation came out, but he's saying spend more time. The word more is what seems. Thank you, Alex. Yes, you have to do you have to do the act, obviously. You have to pray, and you have to be active business plus pray and do your act with faith. And what he's saying, the way this is being translated, is do more, as if spend more time on it. You know, usually we say, you know, whether you spend ten hours a day or eight hours a day, you know, your part of the is going to be. Yeah, but it's not true. No, what you're saying is, listen, you got. It. Someone says, listen, I'm going to, you know, work in a minimum wage job, and God will provide. It's not going to work. You need to, if you want to, you want to become wealthy. You need to go into business. You need to take risks. You have to do whatever is normal to do in the business world in order to achieve wealth. Always, and then he's saying, you then you also got to have this other aspect, which is believing that at the end of the day it's not under my control. I can do play up by all the rules and do everything, take all my risks, put all my own money in, and fail. So that's where God comes in. Uh-huh. Okay. That's where God comes in. So you need. He's saying you need to have all three aspects. You need to have. I mean, again, even if you translate integrity, I mean, mean, true integrity, that's also the same part of 
you need to, at the end of the day, if you're not, you don't have integrity in your business, it seems to be saying you're going to fail also. At the end of the day, uh, people like honesty, which goes back to Joseph here, which talks about his integrity also, and he was very honest. And, and meaning people trust people, they're going to make you the CEO only they know you have integrity, unless you work for Enron or, or any other companies. <laughs> don't necessarily, at least until they fail, don't, don't look at that as a, as a plus. Okay, but, but the point is, again, it's, it's a, you need, we're not saying just have faith in God. I, I said this, I think, in a few classes ago. I mentioned this, that uh, it says even there are certain times atheism is, a, is important, in, in, even as a Jew. That's what I heard. It says every attribute has a time and place in Judaism, even atheism. So when does atheism come in? I told you when you, you know, when, uh, you know, you go fundraising and the guy says, have faith in God, you'll have, you need a building, you'll have, the building will be built. Right? So that's the time that, uh, you know, you're supposed to tell the guy, no, this, when it comes to charity, you'd be an atheist. Don't say everything depending on God. It's, it's very nice when you come for the guy tells you, all of a sudden have faith in God. You don't have, what, you're a rabbi, you don't have faith. Right? So no, sometimes it's important to be an atheist. So we're, we're out of time, but the last part I put here was um, was also this this year happens to be a, a sabbatical year. I think we spoke about it a few weeks ago. We mentioned it, which is the Shemitah year, which uh, which is in the Torah. It discusses that every seventh year is also a key aspect. Every seventh year is you leave your land fallow, and the Torah discusses how you know what's going. Like, what am I supposed to eat? People, how am I going to eat? And this is actually it says one of the proofs. One, well, many places discussed as the reason for this law is specifically for this purpose too. People need to realize every seven years at least, take a break and realize that it's, it's God, that it's God that's providing. And God says, I will provide, even though your, your field is fallow. Now, did this work or not? That's, uh, again, this, it actually <laughs> did this work. So I found the, I was looking for some stories, again, many anecdotal stories, but I found one which should be at least documented again, uh, yeah, which is from the, this is in 1950, Nine, 1957 in Israel because again this only applies sabbatical leaving your land fell only applies in Israel so this is a story I found in, um, in the Jewish agency so it, uh, at least it's documented not just some anecdotal story which, which talks about how they were trying to get people to start moshavs and uh, settlements in Israel um, agricultural settlements known as a moshav um, so the Jewish agency was giving out money for it and they started that year they had uh, funding for 10 uh, these Moshavim, ten of these settlements. Um, with this, this is prior to '67 within Israel proper. So the story is there was one religious. They wanted to start this religious settlement, but he said he has to be honest. And in three years was or whatever it was a few years was going to be Shemitah, and his name was Benjamin Mendelssohn, and he would have to leave the land fell. So the government wasn't interested in dealing with it. They said we're not going to give you subsidize your properties, you know your fields, it's acres and acres of land, and then you're going to leave the fell. So finally, um, 1958, says finally spoke to Mr. Wigodsky, the director of orchard development, explained to him the depth of beauty, convinced him that to let him keep Shemitah, okay, to let him keep the land. <coughs> they given, this was in 1957, a half a million dollars spent on planting the orchard. I don't know what that is in today's times, but probably a lot of money. Um, it's basically, to make a long story short, um, I'm missing page two, but... But basically, there were 10 uh, orchards that, that the Jewish agency planted and gave money for it within Israel proper at the time. And it says the one that produced the most was this orchard, the one of Shemitah. Even during the year of Shemitah, all the other, other orchards were failing. And this one, again, it's a nice anecdotal story. But, but the point is, without the stories, that the whole purpose that many of the commentators explain is this 
Because that's what the Torah is trying to tell you. This law is that we, should, we need to understand that all that God is the one that provides. By the way, this is just as, as an aside. It's a great. I always mention this in classes, which is God says that in the sixth year, it says you will ask the question, verse twenty. If you shall say, "What will we eat in the seventh year?" So God says, "We will not sell. We will not gain our, gather in our produce." So God says, "Know then that I will command my blessing for you in the sixth year." So it means the year prior to the seventh year, it will yield produce for three years. You'll have a bumper crop. God says that you'll have enough produce for the sixth year, the seventh year, and the eighth year. Okay. Now this is a very obvious way to to see if if God is true. Who wrote the Torah? As I always say, one of the proofs I bring that the Torah was had to be God written. Because any if some idiot was writing the Torah and, and starting a religion. You would have to be a fool to say this, yeah. basically, because yeah. within three years or within seven years at maximum, they're going to know whether this is true or not. The Torah is true because you're basically promising them a bumper crop, a three-year bumper crop, in the sixth year. So that means within six years they're going to know if this is, whole thing is 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 basically a made-up story or not. So someone, if it was a human being starting the religion or writing the Torah, you'd have to be an idiot to say that. So within six years they'll know the truth. So this is, uh, I always bring this as a proof, actually, that the Torah is God-written. And what actually happened, I, again, throughout history, I'm not a historian, but it does say that um, the reason why the first temple was destroyed was because they didn't keep this law. They didn't observe this law, many of the Jews. Again, it's such a high level of faith, for one to say, I mean, mm-hmm. especially in an agricultural society, to say we're just going to leave our fields fallow for a year and have faith in God. It's a very, obviously, very Brian, high level of faith. Out at, uh, Beth Israel. Okay. <laughs> Beth Israel. We'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> in closing. Yeah. In the yeah. parking lot out on the street. You can yeah. Take well, a poll, yeah. Agree or disagree? Kicked off the property. You can, you can do it. You can do agree or disagree. Yeah. Right. I don't know. So many Mercedes and licenses there. Thank you.